If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 32. Deuteronomy, chapter 32. Uh, there are three specific verses that we would uh, like to just kind of look at or use for an outline this morning. Deuteronomy 32, the very first verse we would like to look at is verse 4, where it says concerning God that He is the rock, His work is perfect, for all His ways are judgment, a God of truth, and without iniquity, just and right is He. I, I don't know about y'all, but... Um, in my life, I think I will forever be plagued with the concept of if I'd known then what I know now. If I'd known then what I know now, I wonder how different my life would be. Now, that being said, if I'd have known then what I know now, what other wrong decision would I have made instead? But I will be plagued probably for the rest of my life with the concept of if I'd have known then what I know now. From this point on, I will be plagued with the generation that comes after me. Looking at the generation that comes after me and saying to them, please do as I instruct you, not as I have done. And I'm plagued with the generation coming after me saying, well, you're doing it, why can't I? Did you ever grow up knowing that? Did you ever grow up having that person in your family that smoked like a freight train and they would tell you, don't smoke, and you're like, well, you're smoking. If it's such a bad idea, why don't you quit? Well, as a child, you don't understand the power that addiction has over people. But if somebody's sitting there with lung cancer, uh, mouth cancer, uh, emphysema, and they're telling you, don't do this, it's probably a pretty good idea to listen to what they have to say. But because things are coming from one sinful man to another sinful man, uh, the authority of what I have to say sometimes kind of falls flat and kind of falls on deaf ears. So let us be grateful then that we don't have just the instruction of man to look to. We have the instruction of God and His Word. And in this verse right here it says, our God is the rock. It says, first off, that he is, His work is perfect, for all His ways are judgment, a God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is He. Uh, the work that God does is always perfect. And the reason that the work that God does is always perfect is that all His ways are complete judgment. God completely understands everything that there is to understand about life. He can foresee every situation, every problem, every turmoil, every strife. He can foresee every consequence to every decision he would ever make. Therefore, knowing what the end is, he can make the right choice from the very beginning. Everything he does is right. Uh, he reminds us uh, through his own words, the Lord reminds us in the book of Isaiah, chapter 46. Isaiah, chapter 46, and I'd like you to notice here uh, the ninth verse. Isaiah 46 and verse 9 says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. Now, the instruction and the admonition that God is giving to the nation of Israel here is to first off, remember the former things of old. Remember your history with God. Remember the one who delivered you from Egyptian bondage. Remember the one who made a way across the Red Sea when you could see no way. Remember the one who fed you with manna from heaven every day, for 40 years, remember the one that called water from a rock 
and gave you uh, water to drink in a dry and thirsty land when you could see no way through. Remember the former things of old. There are a lot of things in our life about God and God's dealing with us that we are to remember on a regular daily basis. The things that God has done for us in the past are to shape what we do and think right now and even into the future. But you know, human beings are so forgetful in life. Uh, it's been said of human beings that we have a political memory of about three weeks. I believe it was Henry Kissinger who said that the American people have a political memory of about three weeks. Uh, I believe he's being very generous at that. I believe they have a, probably a political memory of about three minutes. Uh, because based on, uh, based on what we see in this current administration, uh, everything that's being done in this current administration uh, should be plastered across the newspaper as the worst thing ever. But folks are kind of silent about that. Uh, you know, when, when we had one president in the White House that people didn't like, they were screaming about kids in cages, kids in cages down at the border. Uh, the current president we have dropped a bomb on a bunch of school children uh, over in Afghanistan two weeks ago, and nobody cares about that. Uh, based on that drone strike that he did, are we, are we fighting ISIS-K or pre-K? Can somebody please tell me? I don't know. We have a political memory, I believe, in this day of about three minutes based on, based on the letter behind the man's name in the White House. How about y'all? Uh, people are very forgetful in their life. They're very forgetful in their day. And we as God's people are no different. We forget very quickly sometimes the good and great things that God has done for us. And here he is reminding the nation of Israel, remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. And now let's notice this very next verse he has here. Verse 10, he says, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. I, I, I believe that this is probably the only person, this is the only being, who can say that my counsel shall absolutely stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Uh, there's a lot of things in life I have liked to do. There are a lot of things in life I have wanted to do. But because of my faults, because of my failures, because of my inabilities, I have not always been able to do that which pleased me. But God himself can, has, and will always do that which pleases him. And the way that he can do this is he declared from us here that he can declare the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things that are not yet done. Um, this... This right here is the main focus of the message this morning. This right here is the main thought that we want to get uh, across to ourselves or study out this morning is this concept of declaring the end from the beginning. Uh, the world around us is not really concerned about how things are going to end. They're just more interested in how things start out. But God himself, through his characteristic and through the writing in his book, he, he doesn't show us necessarily the beginning of a thing as much as he shows us the end of something. So, for example, he spends about one chapter on the creation of the world. It, it, in my mind, one of the most outstanding events ever to occur is the creation of the world. He spends one chapter on it. He spends the rest of the book talking about the coming Messiah, our deliverance from sin, and our home in heaven. He declares the end from the beginning. He, he is a God that has the ability to foretell the future. He has the ability to see the future before it even occurs. Because it says here, I can declare the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done. Um, one of the clearest uh, examples of this is found in the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 3, there is a foretelling of a future event. This is an ancient time declaring something 
that has not yet come to pass. And that is Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. He says to the serpent, he says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Here is a prophetic telling that there is coming one day in, in the distant future the seed of a woman that will bruise the head of the serpent. This is how it will occur. You will bruise his heel, but he will bruise your head. Here is a futuristic, prophetic foretelling of a future event. Uh, Isaiah chapter 7 has another prophetic, futuristic foretelling event. When he says to us, uh, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Here is a prophetic foretelling event that behold a virgin shall conceive and she shall bear forth or bring forth a son. Here is a futuristic prophetic foretelling of a future event. God can from the beginning declare how it's all going to work out in the end. Um, but in, in this concept of prophecy and in this uh, foretelling of future events, there's also another phrase we know called foretelling. There's a foretelling that in this case, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that since this has happened, something else will occur. There's a futuristic foretelling but there's also a foretelling. An example of that is given in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15. Genesis 2.15 says, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. This is not so much a prophetic telling as it is a conditional, if you choose to go down this path, this will occur. God did not make Adam partake of the forbidden fruit. Adam partook of that on his own. But the command was, if you go down this way, this will occur. This is a foretelling. Uh, we do this oftentimes ourselves. Uh, we tell somebody, don't go out in the rain, uh, you know, wear an umbrella, uh, wear a coat, something like this. You go, out and, you go out and play in the rain, you'll get your death of cold. Your grandparents ever tell you all that? Uh, they, they were not foretelling a future event. They were foretelling. They were saying that if you choose to go down this path, this may occur. So there's a difference in some cases between foretelling and a foretelling. God does a little bit of both in, in his book. But the main thing that you get about God is that he is an individual who declares the end from the beginning. So, for example, in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 8, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ said to the Apostle John, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and was and which is to come, the Almighty. It is a characteristic of God to focus on that which is the end of something rather than that which is the beginning of something. Uh, did you ever notice in the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, I think it's chapter 14, there is uh, some foretelling or forthtelling, uh, depending on how you look at it, in Luke 14, verse 28. In Luke 14 and verse 28, the Lord Jesus Christ asks this question. He says, For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Do you notice the emphasis that the Lord puts on this text? He says, of which of you building a tower doesn't first sit down and count the cost about how to complete the task? 
Uh, most people sit down and they count the cost whether or not they want to even do something. And if we want to do something and we don't have enough money to do it, what do we do? We will get it on credit. Uh, we'll, we'll buy it on credit. Uh, we won't consider the percentage rate that comes with that. Uh, but we have an entire nation right now that's just absolutely living off, well, I don't know if they're living or not, but they're neck deep in debt, borrowing on credit. There are houses, there are buildings all across this nation. As a matter of fact, all across this world. Abandoned, half-built houses, buildings, amusement parks. People got involved in something. They did not count the cost of what it actually uh, takes to complete the task. They got halfway into it. It all fell apart, and these abandoned places and buildings are left here. Uh, y'all remember that? Uh, y'all remember that show that used to be on TV called uh, Extreme Makeover Home Edition, uh, where you know they'd come into a neighborhood and they would uh, find some family they felt needed a brand new home, and they they uh, send them on vacation for a week, and then they tear their home down and rebuild this uh, massive mansion structure for them in a week, and they come home from vacation and have this brand new. Uh, wonderful looking house. Uh, a lot of that has absolutely fallen apart, and it's fallen apart this way. I've heard several stories of people who who they come back from vacation. Oh, here's this wonderful big house that only took them a week to build. I could do that. And I've heard of people mortgaging their house to start a construction company to go out and build other houses, and they get halfway into it and they realize, wow, this is harder than I thought. And they lose the business, and they lose their house. I've heard of other people lose their house because it made the neighbors mad. The neighbors were angry. The neighbors were jealous. The neighbors said, what makes you different or better than us? So in order for them to keep peace in the family, they had to sell their home and move away because the neighbors were a mess with this. Uh, sometimes we don't stop to consider the cost of something, uh, mainly because we cannot tell the future ourselves. But we'll get to that uh, in a little bit. Well, notice what Jesus says. He says here, uh, which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he hath sufficient to finish it, lest haply after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king? going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first, and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000, or else while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you, that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple." Jesus is making the point here that in life there's got to be some forethought in what we do in life. And this is indeed a characteristic of Almighty God that He has the ability to declare the end from the beginning and to see that which is unseen by us. Turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 32 now. You begin looking in verse 4 that He is the rock. His work is perfect, for all His ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is He. He's a God without iniquity. So that means that every judgment that God makes, every work that God does, every decision that God makes, God makes that decision without the influence of sin. He makes that decision without the influence and the defect of sin. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. Uh, I had a man tell me one time that that proves right there uh, that Jesus Christ was not God. Because the Bible says in the book of James that God cannot be tempted. And yet if Jesus was tempted, that meant he wasn't God. And that poor dear person forgot the 15 times in the Old Testament that it talks about our forefathers, the Israelites, tempting God in the wilderness. What this means when Jesus was tempted such as we are, yet without sin, He's still God. 
He was tempted by the devil to consider a solution to a problem he had. And we, we know about the temptation of Christ. It's in uh, Matthew 4, I believe it is. The devil comes to him three times and tempts him. Comes to him while he's hungered after 40 days to tempt him. If you really are the Son of God, uh, command that these stones be made bread. You have a problem. You have a situation. Here is a simple way for you to fix your problem. Jesus is tempted by the devil to consider this quick fix to the problem. Jesus never considers this temptation to be a possible solution to the problem. Though You get the point here? You and I are tempted every day to consider quick fixes to personal problems that we have, and we stop and we mull them over and we think about, is this possibly the right thing to do? Jesus knew it was not the right thing to do. He was tempted in all points yet as, as we are, yet without sin. He was never tempted to consider that what the devil had to say was even remotely right. He's a God of truth without iniquity. I'd like for you to notice, though, in verse 20. Deuteronomy 32 and verse 20. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end shall be, for they are a very forward generation, children in whom is no faith. He said, I will hide my face from them and I will see what their end shall be. God can see all things. And only God can be sure of the end of a thing. And he can also only is the only one who can be sure that he will still be who and what he is when all things are done. He is the only one that can declare the end from the beginning and know that he will be exactly the same when this situation ends as when he started. So, for example, you can consider uh, what he says in the book of Malachi, chapter 3 and verse 6. I am the Lord. I change not. You can also consider Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8. It says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, if the Lord God himself changes not, and Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever, uh, it's reasonable to deduce that Jesus Christ himself is God, that he was God come in the flesh. Since God changes not, and Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, we can conclude that in our life we have noticed Time changes us. I'm not the same person I was five years ago. I'm not the same person I was ten years ago. I'm not the same person I was the day I was born. Time has changed me. Events in life have changed me. Circumstances in life change people. People mature. But people also fall. People become better in life. Uh, some become bitter in life. I've developed a rotten attitude in life because I've been around some rotten people. I've developed a rotten attitude in life because I'm a rotten person. How about that? Uh, Isaiah says, I, I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of an unclean people. Time has changed me. Time has changed you. Events have changed you. Circumstances have changed you. Circumstances have changed all of us. But God, God changes not. Therefore, His holiness is always holy. His righteousness is always righteous. His glory is always glorious. His love is forever lovely. And His grace is eternally gracious. He changes not. 
This is one of the reasons why in Genesis 21 and verse 33 that Abraham built an altar there. He planted a grove in Beersheba and called here on the name of the Lord the everlasting God, it says. He's the everlasting God. He never changes. There's nothing different about him. But notice here uh, in Deuteronomy 32, now notice verse uh, 29. He says concerning his nation Israel, and we might could say this even concerning us, Deuteronomy 32 verse 29 says, Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. It would be a beneficial thing for us if we were to consider our latter end in life. There's a lot of people that uh, don't think past the end of their nose, right? You've heard that expression before. They think no further than where they're sitting right now. They think no further than the circumstance they're in right now. They think no more about tomorrow than a three-year-old does about doing taxes. They could care less. But let's notice here. Uh, he says, I would that they would consider their latter end. Mankind is easily excited about the possibility that something good may happen at some time. Think about that. Man is uh, easily excited about the possibility, not the, not the surety, but just the possibility that something good may happen at some time. I remember being in, in high school. I do remember it, even though it was some years ago. Uh, we had Friday night football games, and sometime during the day on Friday afternoon, we'd hold a little pep rally, and cheerleaders would run out there, and they'd jump and scream, and they'd all yell, and we'd all holler, trying to excite our team and excite ourselves about the game coming up. We're going to win, and we're going to do this. We were excited about the possibility of something good happening. We had no assurance, had no idea what we were talking about, but we root on our team and care for our team. We are easily excited about the possibility of something happening, something good at some time. Those who do not look to the future, though, uh, are destined to make a disaster of the present. So if you take, for example, uh, a lot of people ask, why is the church opposed to the lottery? One of the reasons that the church is opposed to the lottery is that the church is looking beyond what's occurring right now. Oh, here's the good thing about the lottery. We're going to take the money from the lottery and we're going to put it into education and we're going to build schools and children are going to get scholarships to go to college. It's a good thing. It's a terrible thing because in order... For the lottery to succeed, the majority of people who play it have to fail. In order for the lottery to succeed, if we had a lottery here, if I said everybody cast in $10, and at the end of services today, we're going to draw names, and the winning name gets all the money we put into the pot, can you not see that 99% of y'all have to fail in order for one of you to succeed? But most people don't look at it like that. They're not the world doesn't present that to you. The world just presents to all of y'all the possibility that you're going to succeed without reminding you that 99% of you are going to fail. The Bible does not take lightly the failure of others around you. Notice here in... Uh, Proverbs chapter 22 now. Let's move to the uh, second portion of this message uh, concerning ourselves. Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22 and verse 3. A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple Pass on 
and are punished. A prudent man is a wise man. A prudent man is a man of consideration and understanding. Based on the depravity of man and the failures of mankind, we would have to say that if there are any of us in here who are prudent people, it's got to be a gift from God. But notice the admonition here. A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself. A prudent man considers that there could be danger in what is about to occur. The proud man says there is no danger. Or if there is danger, I'm man enough to fight it off. Now, consider these words here in the book of Proverbs actually were written by a man named Solomon, right? He is considered to be the wisest man ever to have lived. If anybody was wise enough to see an evil and overcome it, surely it would have been Solomon. But what happened in Solomon's life? Though he wrote these words early on, later in his life, Solomon fell to the love of many strange women. He wound up with 700 wives and 300 concubines or vice versa, whatever it was. He wound up tending to a thousand different women. I can't handle the one I've got, let alone 1,000 of them. I'd go insane having to deal with 1,000 people just like me. Uh, you would have thought if there was any man who was able to withstand sin itself, it would have been the man Solomon. But Solomon failed, and here we are. Here we are in the year 2021, October the 3rd, 2021, and we are still dealing with the same faults and failures and problems of sin that Solomon dealt with in his day. There's a number of things that, that Solomon goes over in the book of Proverbs, wherein he puts in the Scriptures the end of a thing. Let's turn to Proverbs chapter 5, for example. In Proverbs chapter 5, he says, My son, this is verse 1, and really, uh, we might just, just read this whole chapter. Uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll start in it and let's see what happens. You found Proverbs 5? You find it, say Amen. All right, Proverbs 5, verse 1, he says, My son, attend unto my wisdom, bow thine ear to my understanding, that thou mayest regard discretion, and that thy lips may keep knowledge. For the lips of a strange woman, and a strange woman is any woman who's not your wife, uh, the lips of a strange woman drop as a honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil, but her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. So what, does Sol what is Solomon setting before his son here? He's trying to declare to him the end from the beginning. He's trying to say, it may start out well. It may look all right. You may think this is okay, but in the end, it's going to be disastrous. Her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, and her steps take hold on hell. Now listen to this right here. Lest thou shouldest ponder the path of life, her ways are movable that thou canst not know them. Notice how the wicked change so frequently. Notice how the narrative that comes to you across the news changes all the time. About the time they're going to get caught in one lie, they change and they go to something else. You know, what turmoil are we going through this week in America? Do y'all know? I mean, what... What's the problem now? Last year we started with COVID. And then it kind of waned off a little bit and we went to the murder hornets. And, and then the murder hornets just, it just kind of disappeared all of a sudden. That just kind of really went away. But then we went back to COVID and then that kind of waned away and we went to global warming. And no, excuse me, it's climate change now. They, they started with global warming and realized that was kind of ridiculous to be giving speeches in Washington DC about global warming when there's six feet of snow on the ground. So they changed it from global warming, uh, from, uh, global warming to climate change. Y'all need to be afraid of climate change. When the climate changes all the time. They're called seasons. What's, what's next? What are we to be afraid of next? 
Well, at one point, we'd be afraid of the children in the cages. And the next thing we would be afraid of is the big orange man up yonder who meets, tweets mean things. And, and then now we'd be afraid of, we're always afraid of something. They're always making us afraid of something because their ways are movable. Now notice what he says here. Lest thou shouldest ponder the path of life, her ways are movable, that thou canst not know them. Hear me now, therefore, O ye children, and depart not from the words of my mouth. Remove thy way far from her, and come not nigh the door of her house, lest thou give thine honor unto others, and thy years unto the cruel, lest strangers be filled with thy wealth, and thy labors be in the house of a stranger, and thou mourn at the last when thy flesh and thy body are consumed. It, it, it may be a fascinating thing. It may be a thrilling thing for an individual to have an affair in this life. They're not getting love at home, so they're going to seek this love somewhere else around them. But Solomon is saying, be forewarned. Be forewarned. It may be pleasant in the beginning, but he says here, lest thou give thine honor unto others and thy years unto the cruel, lest strangers be filled with thy wealth. What happens when you get caught in an affair and the court gets a hold of you and you lose everything you have and you lose your house and you lose your car? You might even lose your job. Everything that was... Pleasant to start with has become a burden and a disaster and a toil. And he says here, unless thou give thine honor unto others and thy years unto the cruel, how long have some of these people worked to pay alimony and child support and things like this all because of a moment of indiscretion? Solomon is saying at the last there's a problem. And he says that thou would mourn at the last, verse 11, when thy flesh and thy body are consumed, and say, how have I hated instruction, and my heart despised reproof, and have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to them that instruct me. He says one of the ways to solve this problem is in verse 15, to drink waters out of thine own cistern, and running waters out of thine own well. Let thy fountains be dispersed abroad and rivers of water in the streets. Let them be only thine and not strangers with thee. Let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Now, before you think that it's, it's only men that have this problem, in order for a man to cheat and have an affair, it takes a woman to do it with him. The reason that the emphasis here is on the man and a strange woman is that Solomon is writing to his son. If Solomon had been writing to his daughter, he might this emphasis might would have been on the woman and a strange man. So this is not to say that one group is excluded from this or is one group more susceptible to this. But I think right here, all groups have a problem when both of you forget what is happening in verse 18. Let thy fountains be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. If he'd have written writing to his daughter, he'd have said, Rejoice with the husband of thy youth. Oh, he's not the same person I married. She's not the same person I married. No kidding. Life changes people. We've already discussed that, didn't we not? Uh, I'm not married to the same woman I married 25 years ago. I'm now married to a young lady. Or she's younger than I am. So I can always say I'm married to a younger woman who's had six children. She's not the same person. She doesn't have the same goals, nor does she have the same mindset she had the day we stood before Elder Cecil Darty and proclaimed our forever I do's. Talk about people didn't know what they were doing. Talk about the pep rally for people that have no idea what they're doing. Yeah. Let her be as the loving kind and the pleasant roe, and let her breast satisfy thee at all times, and be thou ravished always with her love. Why wilt thou, my son, be ravished with a strange woman and embrace the bosom of a stranger? For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his goings. In other words, the young man that starts out in this, or the young woman that starts out in this, 
thinks they've got an idea. They think they've got a fix to their problem. And yet, let me remind you that two times in Proverbs, Proverbs 14 and verse 12, Proverbs 16 and verse 25, it says that there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Man ponders how to get something started. Man ponders how this is going to be in the beginning. Man ponders, you know, what was the talk last week? The, the football coaches all talked last week, we're better than you, we're greater than you, blah, blah. There's something about popcorn last week. I don't know what it was, but there was something about Lane Kiffin said something about popcorn. He's going to beat Alabama and eat his popcorn too or something like that. And uh, that didn't happen there, buddy. There was a way that seemed right to a man, but it didn't work out for him. Because man cannot see the future. We often become anxious about situations. Y'all ever get anxious about a situation that you cannot see your way through? Man can't see the future. Man doesn't know how something's going to come out. He gets anxious about a situation. And becoming anxious in a situation and nervous in a situation will oftentimes make you desperate in a situation. And people will oftentimes resort to desperate measures in anxious situations because they cannot see a way to get out of it. And desperate measures, desperate situations lead to rash and improper decision making every time. A girl's afraid of some guy's going to leave her, so I'll sacrifice my body for this guy. Some boy's afraid a girl is going to leave him. And so I'll sacrifice my body for this girl. They, they're afraid their friends are going to leave them, so they'll sacrifice their morality for their friends. They, they're afraid of, of what people around them are going to say about them, and they'll sacrifice their morality. As, as the Bible says, uh, a man is brought to, uh, to the grave for a morsel of bread. Something simple brings a man down. Of course, I guess we're all kind of like the buzzard sometimes. We get impatient like the buzzard and say, if something don't die soon, I'm going to kill it. God foretold the future to Abraham. God foretold Abraham that out of thee shall all the nations, all the families of the earth be blessed. And at the appointed time, I will visit thee and I will visit Sarah and she shall conceive and she shall bring forth the promised child. But Abraham and Sarah got impatient. In Genesis 15, God told Abraham, I would bless you. I would bless you with a son. In Genesis 16, they'd gotten impatient. God hadn't answered their prayer on their timetable. They'd assumed God had forgotten or God had quit or God had given up. They had forgotten that God is a rock and all his ways are perfect and all his ways are judgment. He's not slack concerning his promises. But they gave up on God and they decided they would get in the middle of it and they would help God out. And Sarah said, I've got this handmaid, Hagar. And the situation didn't get any better. Rather, the situation grew worse. Turn to the book of Acts, chapter uh, 27. Acts chapter 27, there's a situation here that's laid out before us. Uh, the Apostle Paul is attempting to declare the end from the beginning uh, on this group of sailors here. And they judge the success of their situation based on what's occurring right now. So let's look at this in Acts chapter 27. Paul is prisoner on a ship and they're going to sail across the sea here. And Paul says to them in Acts 27 and verse 10, there's a warning. He said, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with much hurt and much damage, not only of the lading and ship, but also of our lives. Um, <clears throat> anybody accused you of having a negative personality? Well, there are some people who do have negative personality. And it doesn't matter what's occurring. The sun could be shining. And they'd be negative because it's shining too hot. <clears throat> Clouds could be overhead. And they're negative because it's too cold. Now, all of y'all in here complaining about how hot it was this summer, I won't hear none of y'all complaining in December when it's 32 degrees outside. But that's not possible, is it right? 
There are some people, they just have an overall negative situation about life in general. Pray for those people. Because not only is it raining in their life on a regular basis, not outside, but inside, but it's also raining on everybody around them. But there does come a point in life where we need to be negative about things. God's people need to be negative and narrow-minded when it comes to some issues of morality. God's people need to be negative and narrow-minded when it comes to the issue of abortion. They need to be negative and narrow-minded when it comes to the issue of marriage. That marriage is between one man and one woman. They need to be negative and narrow-minded when it comes to the issue of fornication. When it comes to the issue of things outside the bounds of what God has said is right, we need to be narrow-minded about that and harness those things and bring those things into a one-lane motive. The world around us wants us to sit around and just be broad-minded and leave your windows open and just be uh, just open to everything. Or what, what would it be like this morning if we sit here in the church building with the windows open? It's pouring down rain outside. How quickly do you think that rain's going to get in here? Get in here very quick, wouldn't it? You sit at home at night. Go home tonight in the pitch dark of night. Turn all the lights on in your house and open all the windows. What do you think is going to happen? You leave the lights on, you're going to attract the bugs. And there's a lot of people, they're so open-minded, the head's filled with bugs and the brains have fallen out. Notice what he says here. He says, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be of hurt and much damage, not only of the lading of the ship, but also of our lives. We have warned people in America what it's like. We've warned people what it's going to be like if you take God out of schools. It's warned people what it's like when you take prayer out of schools. You warn people what it's going to be like if you start allowing every alternative lifestyle to be accepted. There's no end to it. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. Because Paul, you're just a preacher. You don't know what you're talking about. This man's a shipmate. He's sailed these seas all his life. What happens here? Verse 13. They let loose, they go out, and it says, When the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, losing thence, they sailed close by Crete. We started this, didn't nothing happen. I started doing something, nothing happened. People don't wake up addicted to a problem overnight. As a matter of fact, those of you that go to bed uh, stone sober right now, you're not going to wake up addicted to a drug tomorrow morning. That's not the way it works. The first time you try it with your friends, it may not kill you. And you may think, no big deal. But it says here in verse 14, not long after there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurachlodon. And when the ship was caught and could not bear up in the wind, we let her dry. And everything fell apart after this. Turn with me also to the book of Psalms, chapter 73. Psalms, chapter 73. I'd like to notice a, a word here by, by uh, prophet Asaph. Asaph says in Psalm 73, verse 3, I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Uh, we see people around us all the time prospering in those things that God is displeased with, correct? There are industries all across this world that people prosper in wickedness. Does that mean that we're doing the wrong thing? No, because notice what, notice what Asaph says here. He says, I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. But notice here, verse 17. He says, uh, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. God's book will show you what's going to be the end of a lot of this mess in this world. He's going to show you what's going to be the end of a lot of the, a lot of the things that people joy in and revel in in this life. Notice for me in Proverbs chapter 23, uh, another rather lengthy reading uh, in this. 
but I think sometimes just some good Bible reading will do a whole lot better than uh, some half-baked preaching. How about y'all? Proverbs 23. <clears throat> 23 verse 17. He says, Let not thine heart envy sinners. Well, didn't we just read that in Psalm 73? Asaph was envious of the wicked when he saw, when, uh, when he saw the prosperity of the wicked around us. He said, Hey, look, let not thine heart envy sinners. But be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. For surely there is an end. And thine expectation shall not be cut off. Uh, listen, you've got problems. How many, how many people in here have problems? We all have problems. Are you going to be stuck with these problems all your life? Are you going to be stuck with your problem all your life? No, you're not. Wait a minute. I know somebody had a particular problem, specific problem. They had it till they died. Uh, if you're a child of God, death is nothing. If you're a child of God, this life is not all there is for you. There is a better life waiting on you at the end of this life. Your problems will not last all eternity. Paul says our tribulations now are but a moment. He says there's a glory that shall be revealed in us at a latter time. Thy expectation shall not be cut off. God is not going to leave you. Hear thou, my son, and be wise, and guide thine heart in the way. Uh, people say, well, uh, if I know my heart, uh, if I just follow my heart, y'all have heard that phrase, haven't you? The world's just eat up with, oh, just be honest to yourself and follow your heart. That's not what the text says. The text does not say follow your heart. The text says guide your heart. Why? Because the Bible also tells us that the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. If you follow your heart, you're probably going to follow it into a mess. He says, guide thine heart in the way. Be not among wine-bibbers, among riotous eaters of flesh. For the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty. And drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags. Uh, you find somebody in verse 21, you've got, a you've got a drunkard and you've got a glutton. You've got people who only care about what they're doing at that moment. A drunkard only cares about what he's doing at that moment. It never occurs to him that when he gets as drunk as he is, he cannot defend himself against even the smallest child. A glutton who sits at the table and packs his belly full. Uh, Thanksgiving's coming. Let me tell you, the problem with Thanksgiving is not the tryptophan in the turkey. I know we've all said that before. Oh, it's the tryptophan in the turkey. That's not the problem with Thanksgiving. You know what the problem with Thanksgiving is? Gluttony. Overeating. You, you race off to grandma's house or grandma number one at lunchtime, and you pack yourself full of turkey and dressing and giblet, it's giblet gravy, it's not giblet, it's giblet gravy, and green beans and mashed potatoes and candied yams and chocolate pie. And then you sit around and watch football all afternoon or you sit around and surf through uh, the newspaper to find the best deals for tomorrow and this, that, and the other. And you sit around and you sit around and you sit around and then you leave and go to grandmother number two for night service and do it all over again. It's not the trip, the fan, and the turkey. It's the fork in the mouth. That's the problem with Thanksgiving. And it's the problem with the drunkard and the problem with the glutton. They don't think about where this is going. They only think about what they're doing right now. I have overeaten in my life. You have overeaten in your life because it just tasted so good you didn't want to stop. I was always afraid to be around some of my friends in high school because I didn't trust them. Therefore, I never drank and got drunk near my friends. Never drank at all when I was in high school, by the way. But I especially did not drink and get drunk around my friends because I didn't trust them. 
You say, well, what do you mean you didn't trust them? If you knew the people I went to school with, you'd understand. I know a man uh, who went out to his bachelor party before his wedding night, and his friends got him soused up, and the next morning they found him naked riding a cow down the interstate. With throngs like these, who needs anonymities? You know? Hearken unto thy father. This is verse 22. That begat thee, and despise not thy mother when she is old. Uh, you may have a, a horrid family life, and you may not like your father, and you may not like your mother. So then just replace the father in this text with your father in heaven, and just replace the mother in this text with the church and the Jerusalem that's from above is the mother of us all, as Paul says in Romans, and let's just put that in there. Honor God and the teaching of his word, buy the truth and sell it not. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. The father of the righteous shall greatly rejoice. And he that begatteth the wise child shall have joy of him. Thy father and thy mother shall be glad. And she that bear thee shall rejoice. My son, give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe my ways. For a whore is a deep ditch and a strange woman is a narrow pit. She also lieth in wait as for a prey and increaseth the transgression among men. Uh, Somebody says prostitution doesn't matter. It's her body. Let her do with it what she wants. And I can understand how people just want to kind of live and let live sometimes. But what did this text just say right here? He says the whorish woman is a deep ditch and she increases the transgressors among men. There's another passage in uh, the book of Moses where he says to not to uh, suffer not thy daughter to be a, a prostitute, lest the land be filled with whoredom. There are plenty of people who would give their last dollar to spend one moment with a horse woman. Kind of got quiet, didn't it? It's interesting that people don't spend their last dollar to go to church. It's interesting that people don't spend their last dollar to support the pastor. They don't spend their last dollar to support a missionary. They don't spend their last dollar to buy a Bible. They'll spend their last dollar, as Isaiah says in Isaiah 55, why do you spend your money on that which is not bread? Kids will spend their last dollar on idiot video games that will not prosper them, that will not profit them. They'll put 20, 40, hundreds of dollars into games that bring nothing to them. Who hath woe? Now let's go on to this. Verse 29. Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine, and they that go to six seek mixed wine. Here's a question. Who has woes? This is talking about the problems of a person with addiction. Who has a woe? Everybody I know that's an addict has a problem. Because they have a problem distinguishing between letting go of what's killing them and grabbing on to the people that love them. And I don't care what the addiction is. I don't care if it's uh, alcohol. I don't care if it's uh, pot. I don't care if it's meth. I don't care if it's crack. I don't care if it's heroin. I don't care if it's even a job. You realize people can be workaholics. They will give everything they can to prosper at work and watch their whole family fall apart. Who has woes? People who are addicted to things that cannot let them go. Who has sorrows? Who has contentions? Who has wounds without a cause? You notice that? Wounds without cause. The drunkard who wakes up the next morning, got his teeth knocked out in a bar fight, didn't have to be that way. But there's a reason it's called liquid courage. Because it will give you the courage to do things that if you were in your right mind, you'd never do it. Didn't have to be that way. You didn't have to get drunk at the bar and take on the whole establishment. But also, who has wounds without cause? I know a few people in their younger days when they woke up the next morning and they asked themselves, where am I? They're waking up with wounds and bruises without cause. They've got them and they don't know how they got them. And that to me is one of the most puzzling things about addiction especially drinking, is that somebody can function what I would consider function completely 
and wake up the next morning and say, now what happened last night? And, I, and, I, and I'd say to them in school, I said, how do you not know what you did this weekend? And then I learned the term in, college, in high school, blackout drunk. Their mind blacked out. Their body still functioned. They had wounds without a cause. He says in verse 31, Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, and when it moveth itself aright. At the last, it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. The world never shows you at last, does it? The world never says what's going to happen at last. On TV, it's all glorious. The women are all beautiful and the men are all handsome. And even in the videos, the white guys can dance. We look at all that and we see how great everybody is. But you go in high schools and you go in colleges and you go in marriages nowadays and people are afraid their friends are going to leave them. We'll just take a drink of this and you'll be the life of the party. And at the last, it biteth like a serpent. You'll be left without a friend in the world. Oh, my goodness, I've got problems in marriage. I can't deal with the problems in life. So let's take a little drink to ease my nerves. And at the end, it biteth like a serpent. At the end, at the end, at the last is what the Bible is trying to get across to people. But the world says, don't worry about the end. Let's just enjoy enjoy things now. And at the end, you won't have a friend in the world, may not have a house to live in, a family to love you, or a job to go to. Because they gave themselves wholly to some rotten, addictive piece of garbage. Proverbs 7, that man that goes into that strange woman, he went in there and he knew not that it was for his life. We are encouraged in the Bible. To look towards the end of something. We have to ask ourselves. Are we going to jeopardize. Our welfare. And the welfare of those around us. In the future. By some decision we make. Now. Are we willing. To sacrifice. Everything we have for the future, for a moment right now. Every man should understand from this, at least this standpoint, to have an affair with a strange woman is an expensive thing. Not that she's an expensive date or you have to take her to expensive places, but it will cost you everything you have. It's good to know that we're not limited then to our own short-sightedness in life. What if we were limited to our own short-sightedness to navigate the troubles of life? We'd be pretty messed up, wouldn't we? God has given us His Word. He has given us His Word to guide our steps. God left His Word to guide us Along the way. And when I thought about this statement, making this statement, I thought it's important for me to say that I'm leaving prayer out of this. God has left us His Word to guide us along the way. Stop praying about it. Does that that cause a little problem in y'all's minds? You want me to explain that, don't you? You cannot pray that God is going to change His Word for your situation. If God has told us something is wrong, ain't no use in praying about it. There was a time in the Old Testament when God told Israel, get up and and go and possess the land. This is what I've told you to do. And he said, well, we we need to go search the land out first. That's not what God told them to do. God told him to get up and go. There was another time when Moses is facing the Red Sea. I believe it's at the time facing the Red Sea. Moses bows down to pray to God, and God said, Get stop praying to me. Go across the river. If God has pointed out to us in his word that homosexuality is wrong, ain't no sense in churches having prayer vigils that God would change his mind. That's what we're talking about here. That's what we're talking about. God has laid out here this instruction to us. Think about the future. 
Don't live just for the moment. Think about what's ahead of you. And if we're not going to take God at His Word, praying to God doesn't matter. That's, that's what we're trying to get across to you. If, if your mama tells you go do the laundry, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to beg your mama to change your mind. She needs you to do the laundry. God's given us His Word. If we're not going to do what His Word says, it's kind of offensive to Him to pray to Him and say, I seek Thy will. Here's His will right here. Now, helping us understand His will, that's a whole different story. Praying that we can understand His will and praying that we can implement His will in our life, that's all fine and good right there. Every one of us should be praying that God would help us to understand and implement His will and understand in life that there is an end to something and there is a last thing to something and to help us spend our time wisely in the process. Thank you all for your good attention.